out. <laughs> so you really think it's Seth Branson who's stabbing Will with a butt knife? I mean, he's creepy as heck. Did you have a teacher like that when you were in school? One who I thought was a mass murderer? No. We had a teacher named Mr. Rakus, and this was in middle school. And the cheerleaders would be sitting there on the pep rally days, and he would be making comments directed in the cheerleaders' direction like, Hey, why don't you sit on the in the front row today? Ew. I can tell you that it didn't take long, where instead of Mr. Rakus, we were calling him Mr. Rapist. Yeah, well, sounds like he deserved it. At this point, it's just mere speculation. Well, he shouldn't be- No reason to smear the man's reputation. I mean, y'all were calling him Mr. Rapist, so- Not not to his face. I mean, I still needed to make a B. You know what I'm saying? Heyo! The following is a dialogue between Noah Foster, the legit shit Noah Foster, spoken by the Noah Foster imposter, interestingly enough, and Emma Duvall. Noah starts us off. We found out the webcam malware came from his homework server, and he's using a fake name. Mr. Branson brings his soup to school in a thermos. Villains have to eat too. Kingpin eats. The Joker eats. Bane probably doesn't because of his mask. So it's probably some sort of like nutrient milkshake. Hey, Noah, can we focus for one second? Yes. Sorry. Why do I love that dialogue? Daisy Bell. Because it says Bane in Joker. Batman references, period. Well, I appreciate a good DC comic reference as much as the next gamer, but I just really like that episode after episode, you're waiting for the characters to crumble, you're waiting for them to remind you that these are simply actors playing characters, and every time I am disappointed, but in the best of ways, because the writing is so good, and the characters are so committed to their respective roles, that is exactly what Noah would say, and Emma would of course 1000% be perturbed by his pesky little comments, and getting distracted, and getting sidetracked. These characters are plain true to themselves, in their roles, and I very much appreciate the efforts. Daisy Bell, why do you love this show so much? We have rewatched these episodes, sometimes twice in a week, just so that we're nice and crisp and sharp. What about this show is it that you love so goddamn much? Well, I just think it's clever, I guess. I'm not as introspective as you are when I'm watching something. It's just, if I like it, I like it. If I don't, I don't. I mean, the closest I could drill down is it's, it's just entertaining. And every time that you watch it, you pick up new stuff. Well, be not fooled. Being introspective when you're trying to enjoy entertainment can sometimes put you at cross purpose. Overthinking things, analyzing things that should just be light and flippant. Not always a fun time. I have to battle my inner demons of analysis and lateral thinking and analytical investigations when I should just be taking the show and the dialogue, and the plot twists at face value. So in that respect, I think you might enjoy this more than I. But there is a real solidified sense of satisfaction that comes from analyzing something and realizing in your analysis that it's even better than you initially set aside proper acclaim for. And this show is definitely one of those. It also takes me back, kind of like when we rewatch Are You Afraid of the Dark or The X-Files, or the X-Men or Batman cartoons from the 90s. This show definitely hits all of the nostalgic high points. Not because I can necessarily relate to each individual at this high school, but it's more like the overwhelming dynamic that exists. What they say, how they spend their time, their idle time. I think I may not have known doppelgangers like these actors in my own scholastic pursuits, but I could definitely think of people that remind me of these central 
Lakewood characters. Yeah, they're like the normal, when you think of high school, you have your certain select characters, and I think that they're certainly, they certainly cover those bases. Well, with episode six, we have passed the halfway mark of the first ten episodes of Scream, the TV series. Nightmares in my head, I fear that the thoughts build up until I can't hear that my mind fills up into a creature and it haunts me somewhere much deeper. Greetings, dreamy screamers. Welcome to Faux Ghost Face, an episodic autopsy, kind of like Piper Shaw's Autopsy of a Crime, companion series to Scream, the TV series, seasons one and two only which aired 2015 and 2016, respectively. The TV series, which premiered on MTV, i.e. murderous television, where we scalpel deep and surgically critique this shamelessly delectable guilty party pleasure. Today, we will cut a devilishly delectable slice of the Scream, the TV series, Carnage Confection, with our sixth faux ghost face review of episode six. Betrayed. Slayed, filleted, and betrayed. It is a bona fide undertaking to locate in the vast black pockets of Wren Lake. We haven't seen Wren Lake in a while. We've seen glimpses of it from past circumstances, but we haven't really spent a lot of time at the lake lately. No. And side story, when I was in high school, I went through this phase where I tried to get people to call me Wren. Why Wren? And Stimpy? No, and not because of even Steven. Because it's part of my name and people called me the other part of my oh, name. Oh, it would be, it would have been spelled not like W-R-E-N, obviously. Right, okay. right. I knew a girl in middle school, high school. Her name was Courtney. It completely slipped my mind that for a couple of years, she had endured a serious knee surgery. And because of it, she was not able to play softball, which was her life's ambition. And everybody called her Court. All of the fellow athletes and her friends called her Court. Well, I'm not that son of a bitch that's going to call somebody what everybody else is using a get their attention or refer to them. So I was like, I'm going to call you knee because it's the second half of your name. If yep, court is the prefix, like the knee is the suffix. And I'm going to call you knee. She was not pleased. Sounds just like you. A shipwrecked treasure of a television show worth pursuing and exploring. Though often proving a blood red herring, my tireless quest is occasionally rewarded with the indelible gem of a stellar and rewarding TV treat. Scream, the TV series, carries the torch of that very same treat. The Scream films, this show's source material, such a treasure trove of valuable, sparkling, brilliantly scripted matter, spoken by comely faces who act well, seem genuine, and their ultimate fates to us matter. You are our dreamy screamers, for you are dreamy in your scream, and scream deep within your dreams. We politely ask you to parse and ponder the following. Is it a dream within a scream or a scream within a dream? You may not be able to run in a dream, but from faux ghost face, you can run, climb, and attempt to hide, but you're already dead inside. Here, in your dreamy, dreamlike state, each scream makes you feel alive, for as others may be killed, gruesomely at times, there is no shortage of gruesome death scenes. 
in Scream the TV series. I know we've had a brief lull from the slaughter, but I assure you, I don't think that reprieve or stay will last much longer. What do you think? Oh, I doubt it. I mean, this is a really long time to go without a kill. They do a lot of jump scares, but nobody's actually been put to the knife. You instead shall thrive as you strive to remain alive and to stick with your fleeting, as we are down four, remember, but still living Lakewood Hive. Welcome, dreamy screamers, to Fogo's face, back to sour treats, sick tricks in episode six, resting creep, Fogo's face, get it? Instead of resting creep face? Yes. Piper spared, Will scared, Mayor Maddox prepared, and Branson to Manson compared. Emma plops her whorish ass upon the grass. I thought her mother was the whore. Like whore mother, whore daughter. What the fuck is a freshly picked daisy doing in a bygone, crumbling, and stale house? Does the last Lakewood massacre feel faded and irrelevant? Or is it, in the classroom, the blood, red-pink elephant? Emma's neither dreamy screamer nor demented dreamer. Stabbing herself, she becomes her dark double redeemer. Maggie's been called a whore before, but now with HUD, she's a whore once more. Seth Branson is Noah's favorite teacher. His homicidal tendencies, not a bug, but feature, for he's a striking, stylish, and studious creature. HUD saves Audrey's bicurious hide. Still, she harbors secrets inside. Quinn takes the lead on Stranger Danger, but how many constituents will he endanger? A bagged faux ghost face mask spells doom in the interrogation room. It is now time for serialized killer trivia. Noah's line, this is the beginning of a beautiful mutual tolerance, is a reference to Humphrey Bogart's famous quote, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship from Casablanca. What? I did not catch that. You didn't? No. I caught it immediately because you will often hear parodied of all the gin joints and all the world and shit like that, what I say is, okay, if you think to use a direct quote from a well-known film or feature, that's pretty clever. That's like a B or a B plus. If you drop the right reference at the right time, this show is far too stellar to be a B student show. They get an A plus because not only is it the right reference at the right time, but there is a Scream the TV series twist on it when he says mutual tolerance. This is twice funny. Funny because of course Noah would be making a classic film reference, as he loves film. But secondly, they turned it into something new. Something that's even more apropos for the scene in the show. I love the dialogue. I love the writing. I love Noah's delivery of said writing. It's just so fucking fantastic. And it's one of the many treats of Scream, the TV series. Episode 6, Betrayed. Scariest scenes? Okay. It's almost a three-way tie and that there's three moments that qualify. The scariest is obviously the last four minutes at the abandoned garage when Piper is knocked unconscious in brutal fashion and Will Belmont's lily white ass is being dragged off into the darkness. That is extremely well done and supremely scary and satisfying. I also liked the Brandon James house dream that Emma experiences and it's quite a mindfuck, right? When you're first watching this episode, in the first five minutes, yeah. when she wakes up in that field, what the fuck was happening? Yeah, I mean, it starts, the episode starts right there with that dream. So you think that you're in real time, 
and Kiernan goes off and it's just really freaky, very effective. It's and the, then it's the first time they've used a dream like that to my knowledge. Yeah. Same. And then of course, this isn't going to be something that you tell your grandkids about fear wise, but when Will is in the gym working out and Jake is in the locker room, it's the perfect setup for the tempo of this show where I thought something was going to befall Jake and then Will. And ultimately, yeah. it's just some bickering that takes place. It's creepy. But my question is, who works out in the dark? I just want to know. My theory was that they're there after hours or on a weekend or something. So maybe the electricity has a master control. I don't know. I mean, if he had been working out doing the bench press in a well-lit room, it would have still been the same effect in Jake threatening his life. But I think it's cooler when Jake just kind of drifts off into the shadows. It was a good scene. What about you? Did anything else stick out as far as something that was unnerving or that prevented you from getting a full night's sleep? No, I agree the end is the scariest. And a great cliffhanger, by the way. Like, what the hell is going to happen to Will? We don't know. And why Why didn't he kill him? Like, why did he drag him away? It appears that Piper was spared as well. Right. I don't, so... think, she's, I don't think she's dead from that head blow. Well, and in a way, I think that makes sense because maybe he wasn't part of the master plan, you know, or she, Piper, wasn't part of the master plan because this guy seems pretty methodical. Like he has a list. He has a plan. He knows exactly who's next. He knows exactly how he's going to kill them. It sounds like it's a sinister Santa Claus list. Or Krampus. Well, I don't know if he's German or not, or she's German or they're German. I don't know. We start and Emma and Kieran are on the grass as they were left at the end of the last episode. Now, remember, this was filmed in Louisiana. There's probably some Nutria walking around out there. Those big-ass river rats, you know what I'm talking about. I know, and some people think that they're cute, and I just, I don't get it. I say, fuck that, waking up on the grass with no towel, there's bugs and barbs and shit like that, I would have to pass. Emma decides, as the adrenaline and endorphins are still flowing, she wants to face her fears. So she demands that Kieran take her to Brandon James' house. We haven't really heard a lot about Brandon James' house. It's been shown very briefly in some flashes when her mother or somebody is having a flashback. But he drives her there, you know, just as dawn is coming through. We see a sign that says for sale by owner. And I'm just going to tell you, this house, ramshackle and derelict, and the surrounding areas, I used to perform roof inspections in some areas like this. And that looks like a Louisiana house. <laughs> it looks like it's been battered by some hurricane damage, maybe some hail. But it does not look like a safe place that you would want to walk around barefoot, that's for sure. There's newspaper on the windows. One thing I can tell you about newspaper on the windows, it's never good. It's either a clandestine lab, it's a place where children are being abducted. It is not a fortuitous signal when you notice old-ass newspapers that are like glued to the windows. I think it was in Paranormal Activity 3, when they finally crossed the house, and they're looking for Hunter or whatever the fuck. Same thing, where the windows were blacked out with some newspapers. The house is very creepy. I am on the edge of my seat or the sofa while watching this. And there in the middle of all of this forsaken memorabilia, there's a fresh daisy, as in freshly picked and very recently watered. This is disconcerting. Yeah, and at this point, I mean, it's not like we're questioning reality at this point because they had just gone a few episodes ago. They just went to the abandoned hospital. Over by was, the turnpike. Yeah, it was set up, right? So... In my mind, when I was first watching this, I was like, oh, okay, it's just like another lair that's been set up or something. Clearly, it's supposed to be there to be creepy, to creep Emma out. Well, that's not going to take very long because right as Emma gets distracted, looking at a newspaper, an old newspaper from the original Lakewood Massacre, it says five dead. Kieran vanishes. 
he was right behind her, and then he's gone. She gets a phone call. Hello, Emma. She's getting chased around the house. She's being chased by an unseen force. Then the killer appears, and the black raincoat, the mask, the faux ghost face mask. Emma is stabbed in her gut. It's very visceral. It's violent. It looks like something she's not going to walk away from. But as her life is fleeting, she rips off the mask, and what does she see, Daisy Bell? Emma! She might as well be looking in the mirror. She sees herself. What the fuck is going on? Also, interesting side note. The killer says on the phone, Oh, it's so adorable. He even convinced you that it was your idea to come here. The killer's talking about Kieran. But Kieran's not there. But we have two Emmas. One of which stabbed the other. I'm confused. This doesn't make sense. Is this one of those things where there was an illegitimate child out there that was a twin sister of Emma and Emma stabbed herself? It's still a possibility. Is that what you were thinking when you watched it? I did not think that, which I just provided as a possibility, I did not think that any less than she was having a dream. Because again, we haven't dabbled with dreams yet. This ain't Nightmare on fucking Elm Street. So I didn't see the dream thing coming because so far, everything we've been shown, it's been played straight. Nobody's had a nervous breakdown. Nobody's had any hallucinations, except maybe when she was at the vigil, did she or did she not see a masked person? But either way, if that's the tack they're taking, where Emma's mind is starting to become mush, then maybe the vigil sequence was kind of the precursor to what we're getting now, where she's having these terror sweats. This ain't no nightmare. This is far too vivid to be a nightmare. But Emma ultimately wakes up in her bed. Whew, it was all a dream. It was all a nightmare. But here's my question. Where did reality end and her night terror begin? The last thing that we saw, Kieran was handing her a pistol, and then they were kissing under a dark, moonlit sky in a Louisiana field. Now she's in bed. What actually happened, do you think? I think later... We learned that they actually, like, the makeout scene, that really did happen. But maybe So, it's fell asleep, those... and then he just took her home? Well, I don't even think necessarily she fell asleep, and then he took her home, but I think it was, like, she went home, okay, then she so, fell asleep, and then kind of picked up from... So, everything that we're seeing from the beginning of this episode to when she gets stabbed to death, that's all the dream. I think it is, yeah. Okay. Interesting. I love Emma's house. It's gorgeous. It's worth noting that Emma is, in fact, happy for her whore of a mother. And we get to see Hud participate in the walk of shame blame game. It's so cute to see him there in his little plaid pearl snap shirt. The sleeves come down a little bit past his wrists. And he looks a little bit like a fish out of water. And he just makes up some bullshit on the fly. Maggie, did you get those documents that I brought that I don't see any boxes around, but I brought them? Bye. And he leaves. It's actually pretty hilarious. Hud is now further endeared to me because of his characterization. Will and Piper have a great scene. She says that she wants him on her podcast, and she thinks that it could do him some good. Obviously, it could help boost her ratings. And she says that everyone loves a redemption story. She also, I know she's a little bit older than the primary Lakewood cast, but she always is one to offer some sagacious wisdom. She says to Will, See, the problem with being a nice guy is that screw-ups look so much worse on you because you're decent. That's a good observation, and I like her, and Will should like her too. And so now the seed has been planted, as you can see with his thick, luscious lips and his little squinty eyes, Will is thinking and processing what she is saying and offering. We learn from Bicurious and the Virgin that Seth Branson did not exist before Lakewood. Is it possible that Branson is an abductor and killer, and that he's possibly Manson? 
What do you think's going on with Seth Branson? Well, he's certainly creepy in the episode, so I'm not putting it past him. What does he do in this episode that's creepy, other than talk to some students and let the police come into his... Well, I mean, he's part of creepy scenes, I guess. They do a good job of making oh, oh. him feel Keeping suspicious. him mysterious. Okay. Yeah. We learn that Branson is Noah's favorite teacher. We get another... This is up there. This is up there with such meritorious, worthy filming. Remember in the pilot episode, as Noah is walking down the hall with Riley, R.I.P., rest in pieces, Riley, he's explaining to Riley essentially the plot of a horror film, how we have to care about the characters, we have to keep a close eye on the teacher who's providing after-class lessons with a hot student, and while he's talking and narrating, the camera is panning into these very subjects. Well, here, this is almost as good, where they're talking about the target list. Who would the killer want to kill? Why would the killer want to kill Nina? And every time they mention a specific archetype or character, that very same character of discussion walks past. It's so subtle. And if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it 100%. Very provocative questions are posed here. Who slept with Nina? Who didn't? Who envied Nina? Who despised her? And during all of this, we see Will, we see Jake, we see Brooke. It's just so picture and pitch perfect. Where are you on that list? Duh, I'm making the list, says Noah. And then he stares at her at like a 45 degree angle. He's got this diabolical smirk. And we're seeing him stare at her for three seconds. And it's a long three seconds. I'm wondering, what the fuck? Well, Audrey calls him out. Nice resting creep face. They're having so much fun. They have such chemistry. These actors belong together. And this is the actual line of dialogue. That's a long ass list. So pretty much everybody's a suspect, including us. Wait, where are you on that list? Duh, I'm making the list. And then it says, Noah stares menacingly at Audrey. Nice resting creep face. Back at ya. They're having so much fun with these characters. And I love their it's palpable. Yes, yeah, so yes. good. They're also serving as an educator, an illuminator for the audience, for us. They're taking on that role. It's like a pseudo Watson to Sherlock vicariously explaining to us by way of showing us what we are allowed to see just enough so that we don't feel like we are retarded or that we are completely devoid of the plot points. Now we get a three-person scene. It's basically Seth Branson offering a three-person scene for Noah, Audrey, and Will. Well, as you remember, Will and Audrey recently had a little bit of a tiff where she flipped him over on his ass in front of the whole gym class and Noah started clapping. Well, this is where Noah gets his line, a beautiful mutual tolerance. It hits very well. Also, I like Will here. He seems sincere. He's like, okay, I have that one coming. And then when Audrey keeps pushing the issue with her belligerence, he just stares at her. He's growing on me. I like Will. Whatever issues I have with Will, the first couple episodes, they've long since evaporated. What about you? Yeah, I certainly think he's more likable because he's more complex now, right? Before he was just kind of the good guy. Well, now we know he's fallen into some things that he shouldn't have. And you can really sense his remorse and his sense of loss with the situation between him and Emma. I think that's what makes him likable. His just overall, his sadness. <laughs> I hate to say. The cops come to Seth Branson's course, open the door, and they say that they have the proper paperwork to take into custody one of the students. Who did you think they were coming for? I thought they were coming for Branson. Okay. And that's probably how they choreographed or telegraphed it. But they perp walk Audrey fucking Jensen. <gasps> Who the fuck knew? You see a close up of Brooke's face. Everybody is taking an interest in this. 
but none are more bamboozled, mystified, than Noah Foster. What the shit is happening? And we get this great line of dialogue. Really, it's just a brief statement from Seth Branson. And considering your propensity for speeches, I'm thinking monologue. He's talking to Noah. Ooh, that was that scene was creepy. That's where Noah and Emma go into the music room yeah, to try to dissect hall. what is happening. Why was Audrey taken into custody? And so they're doing a quick laundry list of what do we know? What's missing? Why are these puzzle pieces not melding together? And that is when Seth Branson slowly enters the music room and just stares at him. Yeah, I feel like they're talking about him and then he like busts in there. So creepy. That actor, creepiness achieved. Just saying. Now, why was AJ or Audrey Jensen taken into custody? Was it because they don't like vicarious people? They don't like her combat boots and all black attire? Do they think that she's going to come to school with a firearm, perhaps? No, no, no. You have Rain, you know, that detective that has some friction and some colorful checkered past with HUD. She puts the fucking faux ghost face surgical mask wrapped in a plastic bag on the interrogation room table and asks Audrey, why is your DNA on the inside of this mask? Oh my fuck. That's a good question. Audrey says she never touched the mask. And from what we remember from the abandoned hospital and Noah screaming in a high octave, we remember she didn't touch the mask. So this is a good question indeed. Well, you know what? We can just thank HUD now and in perpetuity because HUD saves the bicurious ass. He basically comes in there. He's been relegated to like crossing guard duty or some shit. And he says, Rain, you cannot interrogate or question a minor unless they have their parent or an adult present. So I'm just going to hang out here until her father arrives. Thank you, HUD. If you don't get at least a gift basket from this bicurious chick, then she does not properly value you. We also learn about Noah's deep-seated hero conflict, and he has this great line where he says, well, the options are either Henry V or Napoleon Dynamite. Noah, for better or for worse, is very self-aware. I happen to really enjoy self-aware characters because it cuts through the bullshit, and Noah knows that he has various issues, and he is speaking to them. AJ calls Noah and gets his voicemail. We learn that Tyler was a student aide, just as Nina and Riley were. This is interesting. Remember Tyler? The guy who lost his head, like all those people in the movie Sleepy Hollow? And he blew up. Noah says something that made Daisy Bell here laugh hysterically. He asked Seth Branson to input his phone number into Noah's phone so that they could rip on monologues. And he does. And Noah is so delighted to show Emma an app called the Finger Track Scanner. He's like, ah, I have Seth Branson's fingerprints. Clever, Noah. Clever indeed. And then, of course, like you would expect in fine Noah Foster fashion, he makes another pop culture reference. He's already referenced a beautiful mutual tolerance. And now he's like, we need to determine, is our Mr. White actually Heisenberg? Pulled straight from Breaking Bad, we love you, Noah Foster. The SD card from September 30th. This is crucial. Basically, Rain is sniffing around in the interrogation room. She says she wants to see the footage of the night that Nina Patterson was killed. Audrey has an SD card taken from her handheld that's at her house. She calls Emma and asks her not only to go retrieve it post-haste, but to not look at the footage. What do you think? Why do you think at this time she did not want her to look at the footage? What was going through your I, mind? Okay, I didn't necessarily have any guesstimates. I didn't think she was the murderer or she was involved even in the murder. But I knew... 
it had to be damning, whatever was on it, right? But I don't remember thinking at any point that there was something like evidence of her being involved. I assumed that it was something problematic directed at Emma. I figured it would be something that she said or did mm, that would okay. that would be very bellicose in Emma's direction. Oh, we also learn as Brooke and Jake are walking around the garage at the Maddox residence, because remember, Jake, being the chivalrous son of a bitch that he is, agreed to look in the freezer and see what was going on with the freezer. And her father is teaching a stranger danger course to a bunch of elementary students, I think. So I just think that even though he's not there in this moment, his reputation lives on in little comments that his daughter makes. Jake is sometimes a really good character. Sometimes he's a little lackluster, but he gets some great tidbits of dialogue. Murder is like potato chips, he says. You can't stop with just one. He also quotes Stephen King. I looked it up. This is from Stephen King, and it's from Under the Dome. Oh, I don't know if it's from show. I don't know if it's from the book or oh, from the show. Okay, but either one, it's a good line. I got through the first season of Under the Dome, and then I lost interest shortly thereafter. I don't care for it. Stephen King has been responsible for far better shit, such as The Outsider on HBO. Ten episodes, I loved it. Red Devil here adored it, right? Yeah. But we have to mention Pet Cemetery. I know you don't have the same reverence for that as I do. The Shawshank Redemption. Just saying. Pet Cemetery. There's nothing in the freezer. It was a fool's errand. Of course your father didn't murder anybody, Brooke. Get your head out of your pancake flat ass. Emma, who is at Audrey's home with Noah on their little reconnaissance rescue mission, if you will. Emma breaks glass with a little bird figurine. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny, too, how she was holding it. She was, like, pecking it. Like, pecking it. That's funny. Also note that the playground in AJ's backyard is in good shape and sizable. Does she have younger siblings? Is this the house that she grew up in and she played on when she was a kid? I don't know. This is an example of when you're asking questions when I was just like, boop boop Did I notice the playground the first time I saw this show? No. But as this is my 15th viewing of this episode... I thought, that's kind of weird. There's a full-blown fucking jungle gym back there. Well, I still like to swing, so maybe it's for her. Maybe. She seems like someone that would be sharpening knives and whittling something on the front porch instead. Elvish the knife, which is in Audrey's room. First of all, it's clear that Noah has spent a lot of time in Audrey's room. I didn't think that the name of the knife was Elvish. I thought he just meant it's Elvish, like from Lord of the Rings. Like it's a replica of Elvish. Maybe all that's true, but I just thought that the knife's name was Elvish. That's kind of how I interpreted it. You're saying that the little... I must be the bigger nerd here. No, but are you saying that the little marble figurine on the handle of the knife is Elvish? Yeah, like the design. Like, think of it in Star Wars terms. It would be like a lightsaber. But it's like a Lord of the Rings fan, perhaps. It's a replica of a knife that one of the elves would have So that So the Elvish is like could be a generic term for knife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, sure. whatever it is, I had the same reaction that Emma had. Which was, who gives a fuck? She goes, <laughs> okay, I'm going to go right back to trying to jimmy open this drawer so I can get what I was sent on this as an emissary to collect from my good friend AJ. And then Noah says, frack, the policia are here. That's funny because one, he says frack, which as you know, was a catchphrase from Battlestar Galactica, where you could say frack instead of fuck, and it was okay because technically it wasn't a swear word. But then he just drops some Spanish, like just, you never can predict fully. What's going to come out of pale Noah Foster's mouth? He's such a clever dork, and that's why I love him. Frack! The policia are here! Noah's shirt. It's a crown on a skull. Interesting. Interesting indeed. Again, just like you can't predict what's going to leave his mouth, you can't predict what he's going to wear over his torso, either. 
Since AJ has been in prison, well, really at the police station, Emma says she's received no calls from Fogo. Interesting indeed. Maybe AJ is the killer. I still don't buy it. Brooke is following up with Emma about the break-in. Do, do, do. What does it all mean? Where are we going now? What are the possibilities? Take it sleazy, Fitzgerald. Okay, Jake is walking across the locker room, wrapped in a towel. He's clearly just taken a high school shower. But he's barefoot in the locker room. And I gotta tell you, just like Jerry O'Connell said and Can't Hardly Wait, you gotta get flip-flops if you're gonna be walking in public areas. That is fucking gross. Maybe Jake's parents, rich as they are, can afford some cream for all the foot fungus that Jake Sleazy Fitzgerald is gonna get. Will's pumping iron? Also, I noticed that he's using gloves. Like a driver, a chauffeur driver that uses gloves. I don't think he's even lifting that much weight. Where's the phone and the money? Jake asks. They'll find you in pieces in a ditch, he admonishes Will. This is possible foreshadowing. Remember when Brooks says to Jake, I will eviscerate you with these scissors. You have to remember that this could potentially be a violent show with a certain velocity to the violence. Things can escalate quickly in these parts. So when characters lodge very detailed threats to the other, remember this, because you never know where it might come in handy. Just like when Michael Douglas, playing Nicholas Van Orden in the game, would get the occasional piece or tool. You never knew when it might be needed. Piper calls Will Stretch. That's funny. I looked it up, and stretch is generically a term used to describe a tall person. I guess he's tall, or at least taller than Piper. Will says to Piper, words that may very well live in infamy, If you help me, I'll give you a story you never saw coming. Piper is intrigued. She wants to be part of this now. Also, I love Piper's shoes. You, Daisy Bell, have a pair of shoes just like this that have the white gum, they're high tops, they have kind of a faux leather top, and you zip them up on the sides. Yup, love them! They look very similar. I get lots of compliments on those shoes, too. Audrey is Shiva the Destroyer, as she says in this video that Emma promised she wouldn't look at, but here she is watching it with Noah, because they can be trusted, but only to an extent. And when Audrey is on tape saying, I'm basically going to go fuck up Nina, she's never going to destroy another life again, I am Shiva the Destroyer. This reminds me of Michael Clayton, because he's like, I'm Shiva the God of Death. It's great. And I love how Noah says, I need a men in black brain wipe. <laughs> More <laughs> pop culture references. So good. Great song playing while M and her mom talk. I'll get to that later. Maggie was a neighbor to Brandon James. She claims Brandon wasn't a monster. A fight started at the school way back when. Kevin Duvall, Emma's father, and Maggie's dad called the police when Maggie was going to go meet Brandon James out on the dock at Wren Lake. We get to see a brief glimpse of Wren Lake and of Brandon James falling his surgical mask wearing ass into it. Boom. He is shot multiple times. Brandon James falls in the lake. He looks to be gut shot. Emma decides after this little nocturnal field trip with her mom that she's going to protect AJ for she knows that AJ could not have done this. Everything works out. HUD explains to everybody that the DNA could have been compromised with all of the people that were traipsing in and out of that hospital. I say to Audrey, a simple thank you, Sheriff HUD, would be really nice, as he didn't just help stand there while her dad was on the way so that she wasn't being questioned without a parent present or an adult present, but he actually took some time to help her and get her out of that little fiasco. So don't you think that he deserves like a cornucopia or something next Thanksgiving? I like HUD. I mean, I liked him the whole time. Over and beyond, those words come to mind, and in that order. Audrey is very lucky. 
And on top of all that, she is given the incriminating evidence back by Emma, who held on to the memory card when Audrey basically told her to just destroy it. They make up. Audrey hugs Emma. They're friends again. Now we see that parking garage one more time. Quinn is at the garage at night. Oh my Christ. The last time Quinn was at this garage, it was during the day, and that did not end well. He left with a broken nose. But now he knows it's Will. So I'm kind of creeped out. He knows it's Will because he wrote down the name Will on his legal pad and he drew three lines under it. Boop, boop, boop. It's very suspenseful here. Will is an all right guy. He hands back Quinn the money that had already been gifted or blackmailed, and he gives him the only remaining copies of the video. And he swears he never watched them. I don't think he watched the videos. I know Jake watched the video and showed it to Brooke, but I don't have any evidence to criticize Will in that claiming that he watched the video. I don't think he did. Quinn starts reaching into the back of his pants and pulling out what has to be a gun. And then Will, some very good acting on his part, it's a really good line. He's like, I really don't want to die for doing the right thing. I only have my word. I don't have much else right now. Quinn kind of smirks, slides the gun back into his pants and says, do not tell anyone about this. And as he is on his way out of this terrifyingly murky garage, he says, remember, there's a killer on the loose. Creepy. And then he just exits stage left. It's beautiful. And just when I want to like give Will a high five for being so awesome, Piper appears out of the darkness and she says, it's not the story I came for, but it's a hell of a bonus chapter. What is the plan here? Piper now knows that the mayor is involved in some shit. Will just talked the mayor down from killing him. I thought Will was ready to be rid of all this mess. He basically told Jake more than once he didn't want anything to do with it. Why now get Piper involved when this is only going to put the mayor under a spotlight again? And now the mayor could come back and finish the job. Because it's entertaining. That's what I say. I see. (laughs) Here's a little random thought. So far, the people that have been murdered all have two syllable names. Nina, Tyler, Riley, Rachel. Will. William. That's two syllables. Shit. Okay, so just think about that. Two syllable names. Emma. Is Emma one syllable or two? Two. Emma. Emma. But Brooke is one. Yeah, but what if it's short for Brooklyn? <gasps> Maybe it's her. What if it's short for Brooklyn or oh, something? Yeah. You never know. You Kiernan. just never know. Wow, we're really I, down I, I right think now. the only fucking person that's safe right now is Seth. Which might mean, we don't know. We're just vastly speculating. Bathroom stall. Will and Piper left alone in the dark. They hear sounds. They immediately try to go for the exit door. It's locked. Oh my Christ. There is Fogo's face. That was creepy. In a bathroom stall, slowly coming out. The camera pans on a reflection in the garage mirror just long enough so that we can see Fogo's face, but the main characters cannot. And then he fucking strikes. Piper falls, hits her head on a piece of cinder block. She's bleeding. She's out. Will stabbed. Looks like he's in the midsection, stabbed in the thorax somewhere. Uh. You think he's going to stab Will again and again and again? No. He does this cool thing where it looks like he's going to stab him, but instead he completely turns his body, flips around, grabs Will's ankle, and starts dragging him off into the big, bleak, black unknown. Oh my god, Will! Now if it says William on his birth certificate, his days might be numbered. But if it's truly just Will, he might have a chance. If we're following this syllable name game shit. Any thoughts on this episode? Will is a main goddamn character. Yeah, I'm moving on. I need to see what happened to Will. So I can't, my mind can't even think about anything other than what happened to Will. Body count, zero. Though things are not looking particularly propitious, promising, and providential for Will. Time for tunes for the post-op surgical mask-wearing loons. You make me feel good by astronomy, with two Y's. Emma wakes up next to Kieran. 
then ask him to take her to Brandon's house. That is all a dream, as we would learn within the first, oh, I don't know, six minutes of this episode. Things I'd do for you. Also, by astronomy with two Ys at the end, Emma sees her mom kissing Sheriff Hud, then reassures her she's okay with their relationship. My favorite song of this episode, I Never Wanted by Flurry. I never wanted you to be. That's the song. You know it. Emma's rewatch of Audrey's video is interrupted by her mom checking on her. This is some good shit. I love Scream the TV series. I wish there were 10 seasons of it. I wish the whole original cast would come back to do like a three hour movie, but we got what we got and we should be grateful. Is it Boo James or Brandon Bradley? Boo Bradley? I know. I didn't know if you wanted me to interrupt you or not. I love Boo Bradley. Either way, letters were left in a fucking tree trunk log while Maggie kissed a surgical masked frog. Mayor Maddox comes strapped, while Piper and Will are subsequently trapped. Here, we're lifting the surgical mask through our faux ghost face Noah Foster imposter podcast. Where there's a will, there's a blood-stained filet. Get it? Instead of where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, I get it. Noah collects clues, captures hints, and Seth's finger-tracks prints. Dream a little scream for us, dreamy screamers. Or stream a little scream for us, streaming screamers. Scream the TV series is presently available on Netflix. Give it a whirl. Can you spot the killer's brand? Cold knife clutched in their blood red hand. The pilot proved a pulse pounding blast. Episode 2 shouts from the stadium, alleyway, and balcony that the main cast can't. Bogos face. Outrun, outthink, or outlast. In episode 3, the slasher would not leave Noah's first love be, and though we were spared human bloodshed in episode 4, there was a headless pig, bloody foe ghost face stencil, and hidden executable blackmail, executed by Bicurious and the Virgin, all alive at the dawn of episode 5. This chapter survived. Those who remain alive in episode 6 are left to pick up slivers of emotional sticks. Lakewood's body count stands pat at 4. But will poor Will Belmont die, or Emma's mommy slash whore? More dead bodies will soon be in the morgue, stored, for the slasher seeks more bloodstains on the scoreboard, and as always, craves more gore. Until the killer finds a new fixation, Emma's friends will find salvation, provided they avoid balconies, hot tubs, condemned asylums, forsaken garages, gyms, alleyways, the undermanned police station, and revisiting aforementioned abandoned garages, particularly the decrepit bathrooms of said derelict garages. If you listen intently and watch with focused peepers, you just might catch the next chapter coming. Fogo Space, half in hell, other half heaven, within part seven. A date to dismember. Emma gives Will a splitting headache. Will the killer strike or Will spare? That's a good title, isn't it? Very, very clever. Your host, the Noah Foster imposter, falsetto prophet, and co-host, Daisy, you'll meet me in hell, Bell, Red Devil. <laughs>